Good morning again. It is, it was a good week last week. Family got to get away, um, but it's good to be back. What'd y'all think about the first Sunday of our interpretive dance team up here, led by Ezra? I thought that was good. Good job, Ezra. Um, and the band did okay, too. Thank y'all. Um, this morning, we're going to start a new series called Free. Uh, from the book of Galatians. So if you want to turn to the book of Galatians and your copy of the scripture, go ahead. We're going to be in Galatians 1 this morning. Uh, A couple months ago, before the pop quiz series, we did a series through the book of Ephesians called No More Thems. Uh, If you were here, you you remember that, hopefully. Uh, But what we did with the book of Ephesians is we took one chapter a week as we walked through that letter to the Ephesian churches We're going to approach Galatians a little bit differently, though, uh, because it kind of felt a little rushed through the book of Ephesians, and with the the book of Galatians, I kind of want us to slow down and take as much time as we need. Uh, We'll just try to teach whatever the Lord, uh, however far He tells us to go in the book of Galatians each week, Uh, but we want to slow down, cover a little more ground, a little more... Uh, detail than we did with Ephesians. But the, the book of Galatians was written by the same guy that wrote the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul. And I want to give you a little bit of background about the book of Galatians. Really, the story of the book of Galatians starts in Acts chapter 13. I'm not going to read that, or, or maybe even further back than that, but, but really it it starts in, the, in, in Acts chapter 13. I'm not going to read that this morning. You can read it on your own time. In Acts 13, there's this situation that happens. Paul has been called by the Lord Jesus to go and preach the gospel. And he takes the gospel to the Jewish people. The scripture even says the gospel is for the Jews first and then for the Gentiles. But while he's preaching... To the Jewish people, he and, he and Barnabas, they're, they're, they're preaching, they're teaching, they get involved in this conflict. And the Jewish people kind of start pushing back on Paul's teaching a little bit. And finally, in Acts chapter 13, Paul says, well, okay, since you're going to push back on my teaching, I'm going to take the gospel to the Gentiles. The Gentiles are non-Jews. There's probably... No non-Gentile in this room this morning. We're all Gentiles. Uh, There are Jews and there are Gentiles. Maybe you're Jewish. That's great. Praise the Lord. But most of us in this room that I know of are Gentiles. The Gentiles celebrate and they're like, hey, praise the Lord. We're getting to receive the gospel also. Acts 13 says that. The Gentiles are like, yes, Go go to the other Gentiles. So Paul takes the gospel to these people that are non-Jews. And this is when the church really starts having some first major conflict. There There was conflict in the very beginning, but this is major conflict. And this is why. When, when Paul, when the other apostles were preaching to the Jews, they, he, they were preaching to people that had been following the God of Israel for all time. All time the Jewish people have been following the God of Israel since Father Abraham, who had many sons. 
So they're, they're these people that, man, they love God. They love the commands of God. And now they're trusting Jesus on top of following the commands of God, right? So really smooth transition for them. Well, when Paul starts preaching to the Gentiles, it's a different story. Because they've been following all the little g-gods. They come with a different set of baggage than the Jewish people do. The Jewish people, they're wearing their man dresses. They've got their faces clean-shaven, short hair, real well-kept, completely tattooless. They're singing the hymns and reading the King James Version. They're driving Priuses. It's not a bad thing. And they're playing golf, and they're talking about the stock market. They're real upstanding good people. And the transition from Judaism to Christianity is fairly easy for them because they've been following the commands of God for all this time and now they're just trusting Jesus at the cross and they're becoming Christian. But Paul starts talking to the Gentiles and the Gentiles have all the baggage of following a little G-God. They have beards. They wear t-shirts to church. They have long hair, curly even. People even sometimes ask them if they permit. No, I don't. They drive a Harley and they think Priuses are cute. The only time they think about golf and the stock market is when they want to take a good nap. It's a whole different deal. You got these Gentiles coming in with all this baggage, all this stuff. They're broken and mixing with these Jewish people that have been in the church, what they would call the church for all time. And Paul is preaching. Check this out. Paul is preaching the only thing you need to be saved is to trust Jesus Christ. That's it. Trust Jesus. Be a part of the family of God and let him change you from the inside out. So you got all this stuff going on, long hair, beards, T-shirts, mixing with man dresses, Priuses, mixing with Harleys, all this stuff, tattoos. Some people like it. Some, you know, these people don't like it. All this stuff's mixing together. And the Jews are like, wait a second, this thing has changed more than I can handle. This isn't the church I remember when I went to VBS as a kid. I have a problem with this the way that this church looks. Because Paul is saying these things. He's saying, he's even telling people, I have become all things to all people. He must be watering down the scriptures. And then this group called the Judaizers begin to tell the churches, well, at least, the men at least need to be circumcised. Yes, we believe in Jesus. Yes, 
We think you have to know Jesus as your Father. Yes, as, as your Lord. We, we know you have to trust Jesus. But look, we have to follow that old way too. At least the men need to be circumcised. And this letter to the Galatians is Paul's response to that. He continues to push back and he continues to say, only Jesus. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Always Jesus. We're going to read these first 10 verses together, and I'm going to kind of try to break them down a little bit. I'm going to give you some details as we read the first 10 verses. We're going to make two observations. We're going to define something, and we're going to make one application, and then we're going to be done. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Read this with me. Now, I'm going to pause a couple times. Paul. Stop right there for just a second. Paul's actual name in the beginning was Saul. Y'all remember that? And they changed his name after salvation to Paul. Do you know what the word Paul means? It means little or least. So when he, when he starts his letter with his name, he's actually saying the least is writing to you. The smallest one is writing to you. An apostle, an apostle. Now, that word gets kind of tossed around a little different, a little in, in some different ways. You know, some people use it for their church leadership today. But really, it means a person sent with the authority of somebody else. It is an anointed person sent with the authority of someone else. That's the literal definition. So, Paul is saying, I am a person Speaking, I'm the least, I'm the small one, but I'm speaking with authority of somebody else. Who? Not from men or by man. Paul didn't get his authority from the church in Jerusalem. He didn't get his authority from the apostles. He's, he's clarifying that. My authority did not come from them, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. My authority, I'm speaking, although I'm the least, my authority is coming from the greatest. I'm small, but I'm sent by the big one. <clears throat> and all the brothers who are with me to the churches in Galatia, there's this area called Galatia, and there's several churches here. This letter is meant to be passed around to different churches. When we, when we learn from the book of Galatians, we really need to put this these, these lenses on understanding that this was written to a church. It wasn't written to individuals. There will be uh, practical, I'm sorry, y'all, I'm, I'm out of rhythm. I've been out off a week, been at the lake. Um, it wasn't, there, there's practical applications for individuals in this book. But it was written in the mindset, in the context of the church. So that's how we need to understand it first, okay? These, these were church letters. So we have to understand this together. Not only, not primarily as me individually, but this type of context, okay? Grace to you and pre peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace always comes before peace. You cannot have peace before you get grace. 
This may be non-intentional from the Apostle Paul. I think it's very intentional. I think he's saying grace and peace. The order matters. Listen to me, friend. If you are hostile in your mind, in your soul right now, you cannot get peace until you get grace. Grace, then peace. There's an order. From God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Paul is not amazed that there is false doctrine being taught. Did you see that? He's not amazed that somebody's trying to confuse the people of God. That's a given. There will always be people trying to confuse God's people, trying to teach false things. He's amazed that they believed it. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. When there is division, when the people of God are troubled, when the people of God are are in a fog, somebody's believing something untrue. You with me? The gospel is full of clarity. It is simple. It's not that difficult to just submit to Christ daily. When people complicate it and make the people of God confused and in a fog and and ununified, somebody's believing something false. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. Did you see that? Paul said, even if I preach to you something that's opposite of what I've already preached to you, I need to be cursed and die. If an angel comes from heaven and says, you need something more than Jesus to save you, curse the angel. Did you hear that? This is serious. (laughs) Wow. As we have said before, I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. For am I now trying to persuade people or God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. What a powerful, powerful, group of verses to start the letter off with. That's all we can get to today. The first thing I want you to see this morning, or that I want us to see this morning, is any addition to the gospel is anti-gospel. Now, we don't like to think in these terms. You hear me? We, we like to, we like to, turn and twist our rebellion in such a way where we're like, yeah, I I mean, I trust Jesus and I love Jesus and I like Jesus and I want Jesus and I need Jesus, but, 
And we're like, man, I'm, I'm trying to make church better. I'm trying to make things better. I'm trying to do better. Anything that is additional to the gospel is anti-gospel. When, when we add to the gospel, it is not making it better. It's sucking the whole life out of the whole thing. One of the things that we're going to talk a lot about in, in this study is legalism because that is an addition to the gospel. Legalism is when we say, yes, Jesus is important, Jesus is vital, we have to have Jesus to go to heaven, but we also need to do this. That's legalism. But I think it's important for us to define what legalism is because I think there's some misunderstanding. If I confront sin in your life, it may or may not be legalism. So I want us to define that. I want us to walk away clarifying what is legalism and what is not legalism this morning. The first thing that legalism is, by definition, is working to earn God's favor. That's probably the thing that we're most uh, aware of. It's probably the thing that we most think about when we think about legalism, but there is an order to the gospel. The order to the gospel is Jesus died, Jesus was resurrected, I sinned, and I can't do anything to correct my sin, so I put all my hope in Jesus, and he changes my behavior. That's the order to the gospel. It is not Jesus died on the cross, Jesus was resurrected, I found out about Jesus, so I worked some things around in my life till I got good enough to receive the gospel, and then I trusted Jesus, and we were all good because he saw my goodness, and he was tickled about it. That is not the gospel. That is legalism. We do not work to earn God's favor. We cannot, we will not ever, we shouldn't try. Second thing that legalism is, is working in our own power. We don't think about that one quite as much. Judaizers preached that Jesus was king and that we needed to surrender to Jesus, but that we also needed to do a few other things also from the Old Testament. It's like, yes, you need Jesus, but now you live for him by following these rules. Not in your own power. You trust Jesus at the foot of the cross as your only hope, and you stay there. And you don't walk away from the cross thinking you're going to live for Jesus in my strength. I trust at the foot of the cross. I find my hope at the foot of the cross when I need salvation, and I find my hope at the foot of the cross when I need to make a decision at buying, uh, on buying a house. I find my hope at the foot of the cross and making any kind of family decision. I surrender to Jesus every single day, and he works my life out over here. But I don't do it in my own strength. I cannot do it in my own strength. Number three, so working to earn God's favor, working in our own power. Number three, playing by your own rules. There's something that is, when it landed on me the past couple weeks, I have genuinely been broken over in this, in this passage. 
what the Judaizers were saying was, you only need, now listen, please, if you don't hear anything else, please listen to what I'm about to say. This is what they were preaching. Jesus is all you need to get into the family of God. But to step into our family called the church, you need to be uh, uh, circumcised also, which is probably, I mean, both of them probably about as bad as one or the other. But to get into our family called the church, like to get into my family, you need to take it one step further. So basically, these uncircumcised Gentiles were good enough to be in the family of God, but not good enough to be in my family. Bull. Listen to me, friend. Listen to me. The only way any person in this room is in the family of God is by the grace of Jesus. You, you, I don't care what you look like. I, I don't care what you do for a living. I don't care how much money you make. Your only hope is Jesus. And you don't make the rules about his church. If a person is good enough for the family of God, they better be good enough for the bridge church. They better be good enough for our families at the house. I'm calling baloney on playing by our own rules in the church. We don't get to play by our own rules in this context. Just, just to help you hopefully get it better, I, I thought about it this way. Like when, you go to, when you go to somebody's house, our house is kind of chaos. I'm sure the rest of y'all have got it neat and tidy and in order. Our house, we kind of, if you knock on our door, we kind of peek through, one of us does, and everybody else is cleaning <laughs> and throwing stuff away. We're like, hey, are you Jehovah's, we're trying to, do, are you Jehovah's Witness? Oh, that's cool. It's good to see you again. Everybody else is kind of panicked in, in clean mode. And then we open the door and we're like, it's so dirty. Y'all come on in here. <laughs> Knowing we've been cleaning like a banshee. That's how we are. But other folks are just naturally able to keep their house clean. We can't. If you go to somebody else's house and they're one of those people, and praise the Lord if you are, how many of you use a coaster like you want a coaster on the table. There's some. Like if you're going to put a drink down, you want a coaster on the table. The only coaster we talk about is a roller coaster. <laughs> we ain't got no coaster. But if you go into somebody's house and they're like, hey, we like to use coasters when we put our drinks on the table. That is not the time for you to have a conversation about what you believe about tables and coasters. You hear me? Like, well, it's scientifically proven that the moisture from the glass really helps the condition of the table. That's not your table. You know what I'm saying? Put the coaster down. It doesn't matter what you think. In this context, the ownership changes for us. This is Jesus's. I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about this people, this church, this group of the family of God. This is not ours. The ownership changes, and it is our role to pursue what King Jesus wants. It is not our role to bring our opinions 
because our opinions don't matter in this context. This is not our context. I don't own this. I get so uncomfortable when people say, and pastors say it to me, Dustin, how's your church doing? I don't have one. I'm a pastor of Jesus's, but it's not my, it's not my ownership. My role is to lead in pursuing what he wants. This is not my house. Even if I don't understand what Jesus wants, it's his anyway. It's not my role to have an argument with him about what I think's best. It's his. And we have to be able to understand that in the context of God, in the context of his church, in the context of Jesus' people, the ownership changes. That's why it's not about me. That's, not, that's why it's not about you. If Jesus wants a coaster, you use a coaster. You don't have an argument with him. What is not legalism? Biblical expectations for all believers. In the scripture, there are expectations on what a believer, a follower of Jesus is and what they are not. When we push others to follow what Jesus says in the scripture, that is not legalism. That is biblical expectation. That is following after King Jesus. Number two. Biblical boundaries on church leadership. It is not legalistic to say these are the qualifications of a leader in the scripture. When the scripture says that, it's not legalistic to hold our leadership to that. That's who the leaders are called to be by him. And you can't be a leader if you're not that. That's biblical. Number three, parallel accountability. There are, there are people that love to hold others accountable. But when they're held accountable, they, the demeanor changes. It's not legalistic for us to hold one another accountable. We need to be doing that. And I, I would even go so far as to say that if, you, if you're uncomfortable with somebody pointing out something in your life, I probably wouldn't point out something in somebody else's. Number two. We cannot follow the Jesus of the gospel if we're consumed with the thoughts of people. Did you see that at the end? Where Paul says, am I trying to please God or people? And then he says, if I'm, trying, if I'm still trying to please people, I cannot follow Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? If you are trying to please people, you cannot follow the Jesus of the Scripture. In following the Jesus of the Scripture, there'll be somebody that, some people that clap and cheer and say, go, great job, love it. And there will be somebody that try to cut your legs out from under you. 
And it may come from people you wouldn't expect. We cannot follow Jesus as a church and be consumed with people. Consumed with pleasing people. So the whole time I've been in ministry, there's been this... um, there's been this idea, there's been this question that I've, people have posed to me. Uh, even when I started to plant the bridge, there, there's been this question that, that's been posed. But even before that, a long time before that. Are you setting out to keep people or are you setting out to reach people? Those are, those are the two questions that people have posed to me since I've been in ministry. Reach people or keep people? Which one do you want to do? Do you want to reach people or do you want to keep people? Because to reach people, you have to do things that are probably going to tick off the people that have been here a while. But to keep people, you, you're probably not going to be doing anything that's going to reach people. You know, so, so these two kind of stand in conflict. Who are you going to be, Dustin? Are you going to be somebody that wants to keep people in the church or you want to be somebody that wants to reach people outside the church. And I've thought about it, and I've thought about it, and I've thought about it. My initial answer is always, well, I want to reach people. But there's a third option. What if we want to just please King Jesus? What if, what if we weren't consumed with keeping people happy and satisfied? Because if we do that, we're not going to reach anybody. We're not going to reach many. What if we weren't consumed with reaching people? Because if we do that, you know, there's going to be some people leave. They're they're both standing. What if we are consumed with Jesus getting his way, and then the right people stay and the right people are reached? And we we just take people out of the deal, and we just say, Jesus, we believe you know everything. We believe you know exactly what is right all the time. When we're wrong, it's because we got, we, we, we interpreted what you were saying to us wrong. It wasn't because you were wrong, it's because we missed it. But we believe you to be right every single time. And we're going to follow you no matter who stays, no matter who leaves. If it's three of us here next Sunday, we're following Jesus, the three of us. You know, some of, our, some of our most powerful gatherings since we've planted the bridge, I th- in my mind, in my mind, you, you might have had some others. I've been the two where we washed feet. And there's, there's, there's a lot of reasons why those are, are my favorite. First, I went to the elders about it. And I was like, hey guys, I think the Lord's leading us to wash feet in a gathering. And I'm going to confess to you, they weren't all like, yeah, yeah, I'm pumped. They were like, well, Jesus said it. You know, okay. Well, we'll see what happens. And then it's my favorite because I got to tell you and I got to see all your reactions. Like people were going, where are we going next Sunday? Staying at the house. Ain't the saints playing? I got to see all that go down in, 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 the, in, in the congregation. I got to see those conversations happen. I got to see the eyes get big. I got to see all that go down. And then we did it 
and I got to see the spirit move. It was like, I mean, I'm, I'm going to confess to you, I was nervous. I didn't know if y'all was going to wash feet. I didn't know if the spirit was going to, I didn't know what was going to happen. I had no idea, but the spirit came and folks started getting up and they're like, hey, let me wash your feet. And it may have been special to me more than you because I knew, I knew that in the flesh, that person washing feet would just soon cut that person's foot off in some cases. But the spirit moved and Jesus got his way and they became some of the most powerful, powerful gatherings in my mind. Why? Because the author of all things right and good, the owner of the church said when he was walking the planet, I have washed your feet. Now you should do this for one another. Man, I didn't make that up. I don't even understand it fully. I don't even get it all the way. I didn't plan for it to be powerful. It's Jesus' church, and when you simply do what he says, he works, and it's crazy good. People are looking at each other. People are confused. People, oh my God, I don't want to do that. I don't even want to see that. What if somebody asks me to wash my feet? What if I have to wash somebody else's feet? What if somebody says, you need to wash my feet? What am I going to, everybody's in a panic, but Jesus said, wash feet. And when you just simply do what he says to do within the ownership of the church, he gets his way and he works. And that's when church is good. But if we're consumed with what people think, he does not have to work. Sometimes he does in spite of us. But he's promised to work in what he's promised to bless. We have to remember when we step into the context of his church that the ownership changes. And we have to do what he wants all the time, every time. Application. Search the scriptures for the heart of Jesus and follow hard after him alone. I need you as the pastor Kirk needs you as a pastor. The elders need you as lay pastors to be consuming the scripture. Not just so you can get your daily reading in and feel better about your day, but so that you can know the heart of Jesus so that you can hear his voice and obey him as his church. Are you with me? I don't need you to just read the scriptures because that's what a good preacher tells his church to do. I need you to read the scriptures so you can know what Jesus wants from us and so that we can do it together. I titled the message, uh, this is a good time to tell you the title, isn't it? It's the end. But not that kind of freedom. We have a little bit 
of a misunderstanding about what freedom is. All freedom, listen to me, all freedom comes with boundaries. All freedom. Even in America, freedom of speech. We have a freedom of speech here, right? Right? Okay. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Um, We have a freedom of speech, but that doesn't mean I can threaten you because there's a boundary, right? So I have freedom of speech, but it doesn't mean I can say whatever I want to say. There's a boundary on it. Jesus sets us free when we trust him, when we trust his gospel, when we trust the good news, when we surrender to him, when we confess that it is only he who can save us. We cannot save ourselves. We are completely broken. Jesus completely sets us free. But friend, you are not free to do whatever the heck you want. You are not free. The Judaizers were not free. Even though they trusted Jesus to save them, they weren't free to add to the gospel whatever they wanted to. This passage says he sets us free from this present evil age. Jesus sets us free to him. We don't have to do what we've always done. We don't have to do what the whole world is doing. We are now free to do whatever he wants us to do. That is our freedom. The whole book of Galatians is about freedom. And we are much more free than we know. But we're not free to do whatever the heck we want to do. There's boundaries. This morning, I want, to, I want to talk to two people. One, maybe, maybe you've confused your own rules, your own opinions, your own expectations with Scripture. This is, this is Jesus' church, so we follow Jesus' playbook. You know what I mean? We do what he wants us to do. You know, there's some confusion about elders. We haven't, we haven't really seen that in the local church. I think it's a shame because it's the only thing, it's the only church leadership that the Bible talks about. Elders. But there's some confusion about that. Like, who are the elders? What do they do? What does the Bible call for them to do? It's, it's, our elders here at the bridge are not a board. Their role is to draw out what God is saying for this church. That's their role. Their role is to find what Jesus is saying. Their role is not to meet and say, I think we ought to, I think we ought to, I think we ought to. Their role is to say, Jesus is saying this, and this is what we're going to do. That's their role. That's Jesus' way in his book. We're going to talk about that more on a Wednesday night coming up this summer. I want you to be able to ask all your questions, and I want to, I want to hopefully teach you some things about that. But maybe, maybe you, have, you have said the Scripture is, is really important, 
The scripture is really important, and my opinions are pretty important too. And they're, they're like this. This is all that matters. In the context of the people of God, in the context of God's church, what he says is what matters. I don't want to hurt your feelings. I don't want to be ugly. But everybody don't get a say. We're after what he says. We're after what he says. We want to do what Jesus says. We're following him and nobody else. If that's been you, if you've, if you've kind of mixed that together, I want to ask you to repent. I'm not calling you a bad guy. I'm not pointing you out. I'm not trying to be mean or ugly. I want to ask you to repent. Surrender to Jesus. Just do what he says. Number two, there might be somebody in this room that uh, you're waiting on everything to work out and get right before you trust Jesus. And it may be that somebody has taught you that that's the way to go. You need to go to church. You need to go to church. You need to go to church. You need to find Jesus. You need to go to church. You need to get your life right. You need to start doing things better. You need, you need, to, you need to work it out and then... Maybe when you get your life fixed, you can go to church. Maybe when you get your life fixed, Jesus will be pleased with you. That's anti-gospel. It's not like that's a good addition to the gospel. It's a false gospel. That is not the gospel. There's only one gospel, and this is it. You are broken and in a hole and helpless, and you cannot get out of the hole. The only way out is to trust in another named King Jesus. Not in a Baptist church, not in a Methodist church, not in a doctrine, not in a prayer, not in your faith. In Jesus alone. Jesus only saves. I put all my faith in him. Don't try to get your life right. Don't try to live by the rules. Don't do that. That is anti-gospel. Trust Jesus and keep on. And I promise you he'll change your life. If you want to do that this morning, I'll give you the opportunity to stand. Um, I know that this is tough. I know that this is difficult on some people. I know that it's, it takes a, some boldness and some courage to say I need Jesus. I understand that. But man, if I can't stand in front of God's people, I don't know where I can. If you want to trust Jesus this morning, there's no shame in it. Everybody here that's right with God has been made right by the same way. If they have not been made right by the blood of Jesus, they are not right. If you want to trust Jesus this morning, stand up right now and we'll help you.
Maybe you've mixed your opinions with the scripture and you've kind of gotten some authority mixed up. Maybe I've, I've taken what I feel as ownership into a place where I'm not the owner and I need to repent. I want to give you the opportunity to stand up this morning. We'll pray for you also. You're a believer, but I've, had, I've struggled with some legalism issues, and I want to surrender that to Jesus. You want to stand up this morning? Father, we come to you today. And we completely acknowledge that you are our only hope. And Father, I pray for those that are wrestling in their soul with different things. I know that it's, I know that it's difficult sometimes to stand and God, I just pray that you would go to their soul and give them confidence, boldness to talk to somebody. I pray that you'd have your way in their souls. I, I, I never want anybody to stand from pressure or stand because of me or anybody else. We want them to follow you, and I pray that for each person in this room. Father, will you help us to be a church that is committed solely, only to you and nobody else? We don't want to mix our allegiances here. We don't want to not know who we're following here. We want to follow you. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.